Kent Online News. News you can trust. This is the Kent Online Podcast. Kate Faulkner. Hello, hope you're okay. Thank you for downloading today's podcast on Monday, September 18th. Our top story today is a Kent take on a national issue. It's understood Liz Truss will call on her successor Rishi Sunak to cut taxes, saying he needs to make it worthwhile to work at every income level. In a speech later, the former Prime Minister will also defend her mini-budget that caused turmoil on the financial markets. She'll claim she'd have spent £35 billion less than Rishi Sunak if she was still in office. Pensions Minister and Seven Oaks MP Laura Trott was asked whether she believed it. She admitted mistakes were made. I think it's important that we focus on what we're doing at the moment, though. And that is making sure that monetary and fiscal policy work together. So we're making sure that the government is doing all it can to bring inflation down to support the Bank of England. And that is starting to work. You know, it's still too high at the moment, but it is really coming down. That's really important because that is the biggest pressure facing every family in the United Kingdom at the moment. And bringing inflation down is the best tax tax cut that we can give any family. Another of our top stories today, it's emerged how a mum of four died just a month after giving birth at a Kent hospital where her family claim she was fat shamed by staff. Shelley Harlow from Margate was classed as high risk due to her weight and previously suffering a blood clot. The 38-year-old had been prescribed medication to stop that happening again, but miscommunication from the QEQM meant she stopped taking it too early. Hospital bosses say a thorough investigation has taken place. They declined to comment on concerns about fat shaming. Kent Online reports. Anti-immigration protesters have clashed with a counter-demonstration outside an RNLI lifeboat station in Dover. Right-wing activists have accused the charity of acting as a taxi service for asylum seekers crossing the channel. There was a huge police presence as dozens of people gathered yesterday. The RNLI says they simply want to stop people dying at sea. Meanwhile, Kent County Council have been told they must stop placing lone asylum-seeking children in hotels. The authority has been accused of continuing the practice despite it being ruled unlawful. Bosses say they need more government help to make sure children crossing the channel in small boats are looked after properly. Highways bosses have decided a huge border facility in Kent that's never been used is too far from the port of Dover to process passengers when Brexit checks come in. From next year, it's going to take longer to leave the UK as you'll need to register a fingerprint and a photo along with your passport. It had been suggested the facility at Sevington in Ashford was used, but it's been ruled out. A former soldier who attacked a pensioner before killing his dog in a Folkestone bedsit has been been jailed. A court was told Kelly Jones was high on cocaine when it happened in April. The 56-year-old from Station Road in New Romney has been locked up for 27 months and given a three-year restraining order. Kent Online reports. Firefighters have been called to Gillingham following a suspected arson attack. A blaze broke out in a derelict building on Brompton Road near Great Lines Park yesterday at lunchtime. No one was hurt, but it's thought to have been started deliberately. There are calls for police to be tougher on boy racers gathering on an industrial estate in Medway. Business owners on Laser Key say their buildings are being vandalised, litters being dumped and staff abused. Follow Kent Online on socials to see video footage. Officers say they're aware of nuisance behaviour on the Medway City estate. A British Transport Police officer from Ashford has been praised for the work he's done on tackling county lines drug dealing. DC Carl Waite managed to dismantle a network and protect a 13-year-old child who was being exploited. His work led to two people being jailed for more than 12 years. Local bosses in Kent have hit back. It claims the authority is teetering on the brink of bankruptcy. It's been claimed Kent County Council is one of the six that could go the same way as Birmingham and Woking. Despite reports KCC needs to find £86 million in their budget next year, leaders say they're confident they can meet their financial obligations. Peter Oakford is from the authority. I don't think there's any getting away from. We have severe financial challenges. 
but issuing a 114 notice is not something that's on our agenda. Um, and the way things are, we're looking fairly stable for the next 12 to 18 months. Um, as I say, we, we do have financial challenges. Um, we do have a challenge this year, and we're going to have to make some savings in order to balance our budget. And we're going to have to do so for next year. But at this moment in time, um, as we have said many times, we are not in a position where we will be considering issuing a 114 notice. Uh, around a year ago, an open letter was written sort of expressing fears of bankruptcy. So what's changed within that year? Um, there, uh, things haven't changed. Um, that was a letter from two of the largest councils in the country, Kent being the second largest after Birmingham, advising the government that through their current funding of local government, um, we are struggling um, and there are severe financial pressures. Adult and children's social care account for 70% of the council's total budget. Now we have a, a, a net budget of around 1.3 billion pounds a year. And 70% of that is being spent on adults and children's social care. Until government wake up and correctly fund adult social care, every local authority that has responsibility for social care in the country will be in a similar position to ourselves. What we're having to do is to reduce services in other areas, to make reductions in services that our residents really value in order to make sure that social care, which is a statutory responsibility, is correctly funded. Kent Online reports. Now, a Higham woman has had to take drastic action from her hospital bed after a nurse repeatedly ignored her beeping heart monitor. Ava Stanley was in Medway Maritime and suffering chest pains when she feels she wasn't given proper medical attention. I thought I might not make it. I've got to ring, I've, I've got to get help myself. I could see my heartbeat started, the rhythm started to go very, very, very erratically and then zero and then the monitor would alarm. And it did this four times in about 40 minutes and each time the monitor was ignored. It was flashing asystole. I actually had my mobile phone on my, on my lap, on the bed, and so I hurriedly Googled the term so that I could I could understand what it was and on googling it I realized it was very very serious I understood that it's basically it's when your heart goes into an erratic rhythm and it can actually stop beating and that you can in effect flatline I feared for my life what the remedy was by the nurse was to come and silence the monitor twice more she just came over and pushed the button to silence it. So fearful that I was going to die, literally. And that, and, and, but it made me, in a way, it made me more determined because I, I wanted to warn my family. I wanted them to know what was happening to me. And I rang my husband. Um, the nurse wouldn't talk to him. I realised that I needed to save my own life. I rang 999 from my bed with my CPAP mask on. And I spoke to a call, I asked for an ambulance. I spoke to a call handler and 
she asked me obviously where I was exactly, who I was, where I was. I could tell her all of the details and she said that she could actually send me a medic. The nurse had come over and I told her that I would hold her personally responsible should anything happen to me. And it was only at that point did she try to do anything. No medic was needed in the end. Ava says nursing staff took action after she threatened to sue. The hospital have apologised and held a meeting with Ava to talk about her care. A man's been arrested after apparently trying to urinate on a train track at Ashford International Station. He's also accused of attempting to bite a police officer while being arrested last night. He's due in court, charged with being drunk and disorderly and assaulting an emergency services worker. It's feared a Swanley food bank may be forced to close when the lease of the building it's based in runs out. Bosses at the facility in Linden Way have been told they have to leave by the end of November. It gave out more than 1,400 food parcels last year but hasn't found another venue as rents are too high. A man's been rescued after his mobility scooter got stuck in mud at Folkestone Harbour. He was spotted as the tide was coming in yesterday morning. Rescue experts were called to bring him to safety. There's been a huge emergency response in Whitstable over the weekend after what's understood to be a road accident. It caused chaos in the town as they celebrated the annual Whitstable Rocks Oyster Festival with thousands of people flocking to the seaside town. Police and ambulance vehicles were seen along Tower Parade on Sunday morning and an air ambulance was also sent. The road was taped off and a number of cars were forced to turn back. The nature of the accident remains unclear. Kent Online reports. Now, a Medway mum whose daughter was diagnosed with leukaemia is hoping to encourage hundreds of people to join the bone marrow donor register. Two-year-old Florence is now in remission after having chemotherapy, but bone marrow or stem cell transplants are sometimes needed if patients don't respond. Chloe Entwistle from Gillingham is hoping to boost the DKMS blood cancer charity register. Generally speaking, um, I think there's a lot of missed sort of preconceptions about being on the bone marrow stem cell register because I think when people hear the word bone marrow being a bone marrow donor um I think they they and I would have as well prior to being in this world of cancer um I would have assumed it's very invasive and they're going to go through into your bone and extract your stem cells that way um but 90% of um, stem cell donation is now done um, the same way you don't donate blood. So they'd take uh, your blood out of one arm, that it would be uh, filtered for a machine, the stem cells would be filtered out, and then the remaining of your own blood would be put back into your other arm. So, and that, that's just done within four hours, and you get to go home, and it's not, you know, you don't have to stay. It's not as, it's not, nearly as invasive as I think people think it's going to be or is. Um, I just think there's a lot of false preconception around being a donor, which I think automatically puts people off straight away, uh, which is why the the amount of people on this register is just not enough. Um, so my reasons for sort of being on this campaign with my... Um, with all the fellow oncology mums is meeting them firstly you get to know you're all like one big family if you like when you're on the ward you get fully invested in other children's journeys as much as obviously be your own of course um but a lot of a lot of them are on that route and it's also something that 
could happen to Florence um, if she was to relapse. She's currently in remission, but um, if she was to relapse, that would most likely be her next course of treatment would be stem cell. And I think for me, the reason I'm sort of doing this and feel so passionately about it is because if god forbid we don't have to go down that route and she stays in remission and they don't the cells the leukemia cells don't come back but if we were i would be i mean i would be screaming from the rooftops for someone to like to get people to swab and if i couldn't find a match if we was like many other parents out there who are sat waiting around to find out if there's someone out there who is going to be a match for their child because it's also really unlikely that a family member is a match as well that only happens in I believe 25% of cases um that a, a sibling or a parent would be a match so it, I think people assume that as well they think oh well they've got a brother or a sister or or you know and it's just not the case it is just you just most of the time are relying on a stranger to self you know selflessly save your child's life anyone interested in getting involved can find more information at www.dkms.org.uk kent online reports a tower block in Dover is set to be sold at auction. Maybrook House in Queen's Gardens used to be a registry office and has had a guide price of up to £1.8 million. Auctioneers say the six-storey property could eventually become flats. Plans have been put forward to demolish an historic pub in Westerham. The Grasshopper Inn is more than 700 years old but closed for renovation work in 2019 and never reopened. It was sold off in May last year. A decision on whether to knock it down will be made by November. There are calls for Margate's Turner Contemporary Art Museum to charge an entrance fee after local bosses were forced to make funding cuts. The annual subsidy the gallery receives from the Kent County Council has dropped 25% in the last two years. It's been free to the public since it opened in 2011, but some believe charging a modest price at the door could make up some shortfall. Natasha Marsh, an artist from Sheppey, doesn't agree. No, it wouldn't be, it would be fair, I don't think. Art belongs to the people. It's OK to make a bit of money on the side by having other exhibitions that you charge for. And I do understand it needs to it would be good to make a revenue. And no, you're an artist yourself, would you yeah. say? Yeah. yeah so you're a big, you're, yeah, you're a fan, a big fan of art. Yeah, and to be honest, especially when I was younger, I mean, the fact that art galleries are free to go into, that's really important. I don't have no money then. I would have to go and see those wonderful arts of work. Mm. And obviously you've got the one in Trafalgar Square and, you know, the portrait gallery and stuff. And I love all that. I still do. Mm. And if it was, if you had to go, if you had to pay to go in, I wouldn't have visited as often as I have done. Really? Yeah. yeah that's good to, good to hear. Um, so essentially there's a, one councillor, a KCC councillor, because obviously KCC subsidised quite a lot of money to the Turner, um, and basically um, he's saying, you know, um, why should we pay for it, essentially? They, they should, you know, charge admissions fee and make their own money. But, um, but yeah, obviously you, you, you do think that, you know, it should get all the support it deserves. It, yeah, it would be a shame, wouldn't it? Well, I get, I get it from their side as well. They've got other things they need to pay out for, yeah. money short all round. But no, it's important they built it here for a reason, and it's you know I gather it's popular. So it'd do you be a think shame it, to start doing that? Yeah. Do you think it brings a lot of money to the town in terms of tourism? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's a good point actually. Lots of people come here, especially for that. Mm. Oh, we've come to see see a gig. We were hoping to go in, but <laughs> sadly it's shut. <laughs> But no, I know people that do come have been here especially for that. They probably wouldn't have bothered coming to Margate otherwise.
The proposal would see the gallery remain free to local residents. Margate resident Perry told Millie he's behind the idea. Being as how it's now, I've found out it's publicly fund, partly publicly funded, then I therefore think that if the taxpayers are paying part of that, then people should pay. I mean, we've got to pay to park everywhere if they're only going to charge a couple of quid as a local. It's not my cup of tea. I've been in there once. I probably wouldn't go in there again. I think, yeah, if but it depends what they're going to charge. Mm. If they're charging a fiver and or it's a fiver for a family or something, that's good. They should be charging kids and people, older people, pensioners. But, you know, if working population age, if it's only a couple of quid to get in, that's just a token. That's OK. And a new toilet for people with complex disabilities has opened at Fremlin Walk in Maidstone. The Changing Places facility has more space for wheelchair users as well as a height-adjustable bench and a shower. It's been installed to improve accessibility at the shopping centre. Kent Online Sports. Gillingham are back at the top of League Two after beating Morecambe 2-1 on Sunday. The Gills led after 10 minutes through George Lapsley but conceded quickly before Connor Mahoney restored their lead. Manager Neil Harris spoke to reporters after the match. Obviously delighted to win the game. Uh, I thought we were miles better than the opponent. Um, really disappointed the goal we conceded. A really, really poor goal. Um, but the first half was the best half of football I've been in charge of the football club. It was the most pleasing aspect of the performance from your perspective? We worked all week on attacking play. Um, and the chances we created, um, I know we might have only sort of, you know, stats might only be sort of 11 or 12 chances created, um, but the chances we did create were absolute clear-cut chances as well. And and out of the game's only one goal swing is bizarre. Um, and that, really the like of the players' attitude to protect the ball in the first half, be brave with the ball, positions we got into, um, everything we asked of them, they delivered. Um, um, in their own ways, two really, really good goals. Really, really good goals. One a set piece, um, organised on the training pitch, and the second one just a moment of magic from Conor Mahoney. Yeah, the first one was George Lapsley, of course. He had to uh, take him off uh, later on. What's what's his issue look like? A hamstring? Is that the case? Uh, looks like it, but don't know for sure yet. And second goal, as you say, individual piece of of, of brilliance from Conor, Conor Mahoney. That's what he brings to your side. He does, yeah, and it, I think it just shows again that. Yes, we're a work in progress in, in, in how we're playing and how we're trying to dominate the ball a little bit more and keep us a bit really patient with us. We will turn the ball over at times, especially with young young players in the team like Jake Turner, Connor, Connor Masterson, uh, Shadow Geef and Coleman. You know, we are going to make errors, judgment errors. Um, so we need a patience on that. Um, but we have got real you know, ability in the side as well. And you know, I think we just saw like George Lapsley going off as a major loss for us. So it sort of shows how important he is to the team because, you know, the game... You know, changed. You know, once once he went off. Um, so we, you know, hopefully we get him back sooner rather than later. Kent's new director of cricket says his big focus at the moment is staying in Division One. Simon Cook is taking over from Paul Downton, but is hoping to maintain a coaching role at the club. He's been telling us why he thinks he got the top job. I still feel I've got some life in my kind of coaching legs, as it were. Uh, but when this opportunity came out right right now, I don't think it was um, it was an easy decision to 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 go for this. Because actually, I, I get the opportunity to mould this role um, how I how I want it. So I, I'll still be able to kind of get my coaching fix, if you like, um, while still being able to to develop strategies and and move the move the club forwards. One of the things that I said right up front um, was that if it was going to be me, that the the way that 
the role would be structured would still be I would still probably play an active part and there was two reasons for that one was a selfish point of view I quite enjoy coaching still and, and feel I can still make a difference with, with with the bowlers in particular but the second thing in that is actually being able to use me as a bit of a release valve for the other coaches to be able to work uh, more with the second team during games and also down through the pathway so we start to get a bit more of a um, bit more out contact hours with our best coaches, with our best youngsters in game time. Main reason I think I ended up was being chosen was I was able to demonstrate a very clear vision, um, very clear identity of what we want to, how we want our teams to play going forwards, uh, how we're going to get there, and, um, and and those main areas and what's going to ha- what the impact is down down through the pathway. It mainly it focuses around um, kind of identifying a brand or a style of cricket that we really want to play. We play some good cricket at the moment, but I don't feel there's necessarily the, a, a true brand. Um, and that brand needs to filter down through the pathway. I mean, a lot of that comes into fielding, for example. That that would be one, one area where I would like to see an upskill uh, is our fielding in, in the first team. And then the same thing, obviously, in the second team, but down through the pathway. So if we get, we're creating the best fielders and people who are, on the field, wanting to win games all the time. When you walk into the ground and you look up and you see the scoreboard, you shouldn't really be able to tell what the score is or where a team is by looking at their body language in the field. It should They should just be kind of wanting to make an impact, whether that's taking a catch, getting a run out, to be able to make an impact in the game. And that those are the sorts of messages that we want to try and get down through the pathway. Um, so then you start to create that belief that you can win games from any any particular situation uh fielding something you do 75 percent of the time in, the, in in cricket so it is one thing that we can control we don't necessarily have to be the most talented batters and bowlers to do that but if we're mentally um switched on and be able to try to influence a game in the field then we've got a good chance of, of coming together as a unit i think we need to be producing our own cricketers uh, i mentioned that with the academy and, and moving players through but we need to have a focus on producing our own players and the other thing is we need to be producing england players we have to still be looking at, at that as a as a goal as a, as a target if we produce england players then you know we're going to be a very successful team that's all from us today thanks ever so much for listening don't forget you can follow on facebook twitter instagram tiktok and threads you can also get the details on the top stories direct to your email each morning via the briefing to sign up just head to kentonline.co.uk